Welcome to the Spring Hills Podcast. Today, uh, we've got a pastor from a church, a local church, coming in to join us. His name is Jim Sweeney, pastor at Sebastopol Christian. Uh, now, Jim, people at Spring Hills may not know you. Now, we we did get it to hear your son preach a few years ago, years back. That's uh, right, Tyler. Which was kind of cool. So we got to know Tyler a little bit in the green room back here. But why don't you, before we, we jump into our topic today, share a little bit about you yourself, your family, your ministry, um, and then we'll jump into our questions about Jesus. All right. Yeah. My name is Jim and I am a Christ follower and a pastor over at Sebastopol Christian. I came up here about five years ago from Southern California. I was at a church down there in Orange County and I got this idea that I want to be a lead pastor. Yeah. I was an associate back there. Did a lot of teaching, but not a lot of preaching. So I came up here and I wanted to preach and I got a good opportunity at a great church in Sebastopol. Uh, like you said, I am the father of Tyler Sweeney, who uh, is on the Bayside Church staff. He's now down there pastoring Bayside Orange County, which is a new church oh, plant in cool. Costa Mesa. Right on. Actually, Tyler is responsible for that really nice recliner that's behind you because he used it as a uh, as a prop. And I think, John, you went and picked it up. I did. I like went, a big lot or something. I went right? all the way down to Rohnert Park. And wow. picked it up. Because we had a recliner back of. here that the week prior had broken. And so everybody told Tyler, yeah, we got a recliner in the green room. We didn't have it. And then Tyler <laughs> came and we were like, oh, let's get him a recliner. So then I, the, that chair is very comfortable. So big lots. Good job. Um, go. So you're, you said Southern California. Is that where you're from? Yeah, I was uh, born in Kansas, but we came out to California in Orange County in, when I was about eight or nine years old and stayed down there for a long time, uh, got my education at what was called Pacific Christian College, okay. which is now Hope International University oh. in Fullerton, and then pastored the churches there for a few years, and then got an opportunity to go be a missionary in Chile in oh, South cool. America. Right on. Cool. And how many kids do you have? You have Tyler. We and have two kids. Two yeah, kids. Tyler is our youngest. Christina is our oldest, and she is married to a pastor uh, named Craig Olson. So a lot Craig, of did Craig I think, ever teach her? I don't think have we met Craig. I don't think so. He's no. a great speaker. You have He'd mentioned that you, you feel like you, uh, you're you the, I think you say you're the least talented Oh, yeah, I'm number four in our you're family. Four. <laughs> yeah, I do the most preaching, uh, and I do the, I have the least talent. Yeah. <laughs> Ty, Tyler and Craig are one and two, and it depends on the week who's and better. And are then, your grandbabies preaching yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> they will be. But they, they will. will. Be. It's awesome. A, I don't know if it's in the blood. It's in the faith. Well, Jim, I've uh, I've talked to you probably for like six months about bringing you on, so I'm glad you finally we were able to make this happen. So today we're going to be uh, asking some pretty, um, I don't know, I don't want to call them necessarily basic questions about Jesus, but just uh, some questions about Jesus, um, who he was, what he was here to do, why, uh, why certain things happened throughout his ministry or throughout his life. Um, some questions that I found that are some of the most commonly asked questions about uh, both uh, Jesus as the man and Jesus being fully God as well. So um, John Knapp is here as well. You heard me already talk to John, but uh, John, uh, we're going to start with uh, with talking about Jesus. And uh, I know you are super, super prepared today. So I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave John this, what did I text you last night? Yesterday. Yeah. Yes, yesterday. <laughs> so I texted John yesterday uh, trying to get some more people on the podcast because uh, I, I only had Jim for a little while, um, which would be fine, Jim, right? Me and you. I we suppose could we could get along, just the two of us. So uh, I did an 18-minute podcast by myself last week, so I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to start this out, though. So first of all, we know Jesus. Uh, he was born um, through Mary, a virgin birth. Uh, 
conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit. And we have, uh, the first question is that Jesus growing up as a baby, a child being raised by Mary and then uh, Joseph, uh, did he always know that he was God? Was he aware of this when he was a child? I believe that Jesus had some awareness of who he was. Uh, The evidence that we have for in Scripture comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and Jesus was 12 years old, and his family used to go up to Jerusalem all the time for festivals, and they were there. And the family took off for home, and Jesus stayed behind, unbeknownst to them, freaked out his parents. They come running back, and they find Jesus in the temple area, and he's talking to a bunch of religious leaders. And asking and answering questions and his parents get on him like why did you do this why didn't you tell us about this and he says why are you so upset didn't you know that i needed to be in my father's house yeah which this is also interesting i've had somebody we so i already talked to you a little bit earlier jim about the chosen and the group that we had so there's the scene where at the very beginning of one of the episodes jesus is i think it's the the wedding episode jesus is uh they're looking for him we don't see him in the temple, but we we know that Mary and Joseph are looking for him. They find him, and he says in the in the show, he says, "If not now, when?" Mm-hmm. And then later on in the episode, Mary says the same thing to him when he's at the wedding at Cana. Now, some people have asked, "Was that Jesus disobeying his parents, and was that a sin?" And we know Jesus didn't sin, so how is this explained? I know I'm throwing this at you guys without even on the notes. What do you guys think? I mean, as I think about it, I it, it he was. It wasn't like his parents, I probably gave, like, specifically told him not to do something. He says, well, I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm going to do something else. I mean, it it was probably just not even something that his parents really even thought or would consider, right? I mean, like, a 12-year-old is going to stay in church longer than, you know, the time. How many 12-year-olds are going to do that? (laughs) But, uh, no, there was no disobedience. There was nothing. I mean, it was just, uh, you know. Jesus being in the temple, doing his father's will, and his parents just, uh, you know, not really, um, I think. They were worried. It wasn't. Sure. It wasn't, they were They were not. Uh, yeah, like you said, it wasn't disobedience. It wasn't like they were mad at him for disobeying. Can, can you imagine worried. the trust that these Jewish families had with yeah, each no other? Yeah, no cell phones. They would go down to Jerusalem, 70 miles south from, from Nazareth, down to Jerusalem together in these caravans, and then they left Jerusalem for home, and it wasn't like, for a day and a half or something, that they even realized Jesus wasn't with them. No kidding, which so, is just crazy. Must have had close relations with relatives and friends and stuff. Oh, he just must be somewhere else. And then they got to go back. I mean, can you imagine your son missing and you got to travel back a day and a half till you can even start to look for him? <laughs> I would be pretty panicked. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I asked the question uh, to lead into this one, which was uh, we, we know that Jesus, in his with his ministry later on, he is tempted in the desert by Satan. And the fact that the question comes up pretty often, I got this one off gotquestions.org, is that it gets asked quite a lot, is could Jesus have sinned? And what's the point of the temptation if he couldn't have sinned? Um, because that's something that we hear a lot, is that Jesus was was sinless, right. right? So could he have sinned? I think you have to say that, yes, he could have sinned. Because if not, then it would have been a total, you know, odds towards you know, the house, the house kind of has the, the, has the advantage in that, like, you know, the reason why Jesus sacrifice on the cross is so significant is because he fulfilled the law. Um, and there was no one else able to do that. And by living the perfect life, he was exposed and, and, and tempted in, in every way. Like we are, uh, Philippians tells us that he'd emptied himself, um, taking on the form of a man. Right. 
And so therefore he exposed himself to all the things that we experience as well. And now, yes, he's fully God and he's fully human, but that shows us even more just the, the way in which he was led by the mm-hmm. will of the father and why he was on a mission. And to fulfill that was to not, you know, give in to the temptation of, of, of Satan's schemes. Right. So, yeah. To be a full human being means that you have to at least face temptation. Temptation is the opportunity to, to sin, right? Temptation isn't the same as sinning. Sinning is giving in to the temptation. But to be able to be tempted means that you have to have the possibility that you could either obey or disobey God and then and then go into sin. Right. And do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do. That's a right. really good thing. You know, people sometimes think like, oh, I'm being tempted, I'm being tempted. Well, that's not that's not sinful to be tempted. I mean, it's to, to be humans to be tempted. But uh, cuz and we see Jesus example is that, right? Right. Yeah. And and you don't have to give in. Now, the great thing about Jesus was he identified with us so much in our humanity mm-hmm. that he even lowered, I mean, if if you will, lowered the divine guard enough to be able to be tempted to sin. And that means that he made real choices just like we do every day right. uh, of whether we're going to give in to temptation or not. And, right. he, and every single time Jesus was walking in the spirit and he overcame the temptation, mm-hmm. which makes him very heroic to me because uh, otherwise it's like you're talking about the odds are stacked against uh, uh, on the house. Jesus was just living a fake life. Right. right be like, right. oh, he's, he's, he's not walking an around to look to anymore like, because like, he doesn't have the same well, and his, sacri- yeah. and his sacrifice doesn't mean anything right. then. And one, mean, of the, one of the cult religions or the false examples of Christianity throughout the years was this idea that Jesus only appeared to be a human being. Oh, he sure. was really God and everybody saw him as a human being. But in reality, he was just, uh, he he was God with this appearance of humanity, mm. but he never had to endure. He never went hungry. He never had pain. He never, you know, was, you know, like, like a carpenter. Well, if he was perfect, maybe never, he, he never even hit his thumb with a hammer. Sure, yeah, but if he yeah, hit yeah. his thumb with a hammer, did he, did he say something? Yeah. Was there a Jewish oh, word that went, oh, <laughs> sugar, man. <laughs> sugar. Uh, I'm going to bleep that out just to make it sound like you guys actually uh, both just cursed on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. This is, uh, I, I love talking about this, just Jesus as a, as a child. We don't see a whole lot of Jesus as a child within the, the Gospels. Um, but as a child, um, we know that he didn't start his, his ministry until much later on in his life, about 30 years old. Uh, so why did he wait until then? Why wasn't he, you know, in his, even when he was 18, 19, 20 years old, why wasn't he starting his ministry? I got a few ideas. Let, let's hear yeah. it. What, all right. One of them was just the culture of the day, first century okay. Judaism. Uh, I, I was just reading this uh, earlier, and it was saying that the Jews can start hearing the law the, when they're five. They start some other, they can hear the Mishnah when they're seven or ten. They can study the Torah when they're twelve. Uh, but it came down to it, and the last uh, hurdle for a Jewish leader or a teacher or rabbi is a rabbi could not teach others until he was 30 years old. Interesting. So he was, I don't think I knew that one. So culturally he was supposed to wait until he was 30. It did. Uh So study all you want, learn all you want, practice all you want. But until you're 30, you're not officially have the authority to be able to teach other people. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. 
Actually, I know I didn't know. I had heard I had heard something similar to that in seminary. Very like very cultural answer to it because people are like, well, you know, you go from like I was looking up Luke chapter two when you were quoting it earlier, and then I was like, well, Luke chapter two, refresh my memory. What's Luke chapter three? And it's like, boom, right away. It's like he goes from being twelve years old to you know John the Baptist preparing the way oh, for, yeah. for ministry. So right. there's like there's eighteen years right there. The eighteen lost years, and they. Other religions talk about that, other philosophies. What was Jesus doing during the 18 years between the time he was 12? Because that's when Joseph was still alive. Because both parents were saying, hey, why did, you, why did you stick around in Jerusalem? So somewhere between age 12 and age 30, scholars believe that Joseph died and he passed away. Because there's no more mention of Joseph. Right. After His that, dad. it's yeah. Jesus, the Praise. son of Mary. Mm-hmm. Right when Joseph isn't mentioned, so Jesus only had Mary after a certain time. So Jesus being the oldest son too, I I would imagine that he would be culturally obligated in his family to help provide for his family. His father taught him the carpenter's trade, and now Jesus was somewhat obligated to care for and provide for mm-hmm. his family in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Nazareth, and then so then finally at age thirty, it is time. Right for him to begin his public ministry, and he no, and he's baptized by John the Baptist. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Because we say you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, he is the Son. Yep. So why is Jesus uh, why baptized? Does, why in is he, my name? Yeah. Why is he being <laughs> baptized? Why does and John the Baptist says you should be baptizing me? Yes. And then Jesus mm-hmm. is baptized by John, who is and, his cousin. And Jesus says this cryptic phrase, which is super hard for me to understand. He says, yes, uh, you're to baptize me, John, because we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Jesus is already righteous. He hasn't sinned. Normally, when we say we get baptized, like Peter says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you know, to be, you know, buried with Christ, to be raised to walk in a new life, to wash away your sins. Right. And right. so Jesus didn't have any sins to wash away. I, I think part of the reason Jesus got baptized was just to be the example okay. for us all. Like, like this is what it means to, to be a full human being. And when you're going to be a, a, in the Christian faith and a Christ follower, your public declaration that you are naming who you are and who you follow is by being baptized. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was doing that publicly. And it, I think it was also to, in a way, to launch. That was, I think scripture is pretty clear, that was the launching pad for Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He went from private, carpenter, Mary's son, living a quiet life, no miracles in Nazareth, to now he's going to be Jesus the Messiah. Right. Well, and then I was reading Matthew 3 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So that's the, the declaration from heaven to literally you know, bless and declare who Christ is, who Jesus is, and to launch now into a public ministry of, you know, uh, the, the 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 gospel message of getting the getting the word out and preparing the way. Can you imagine being there for that? Uh, <laughs> that'd be that would just incredible. Now, John, I mean, so John the Baptist things. said he saw it, right? Because he said I saw the Holy Spirit like a dove landing on him. Yeah, and I don't know who heard the voice, but that that was very affirming to Jesus, right? Being God's son. I mean, yeah, they, they talk about this role of the Father is is we are to bless our sons, we are to put our stamp of approval on our children. Uh-huh. 
like, this is my boy. It's, I'm proud of him. I'm proud right. of him. Yeah. I'm well pleased in the things that he's doing. Yeah. And, and then on the Mount of Transfiguration, God, the father does it again. And then he says, this is my son. And he says, listen to him. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, he's, so he's baptized. His ministry is going to start. He starts performing miracles. What evidence is there that Jesus actually did perform these miracles? I know we, we read that there's obviously a lot of uh, eyewitnesses to these miracles. Um, but so what, what evidence is there and why is it important that Jesus did perform these miracles? Well, so I, I kind of touched on this this last weekend at church. So in a, in a general sense, when I think about the miracles, ultimately, you know, the miracles point towards Jesus having this supernatural power to do what only God can do, to, to literally have control over natural elements, things like water into wine, to heal bodies, you know, remotely, you know, the nobleman's son, to be able to um, walk on water, you calm know, the storm. Ta- calm the storm to Feed literally people. bring someone back to life, right? So that's a that's a display of his divine, you know, ability to, you know, um, his divine ability. And then you've got the specific things, like I said this weekend in, in the sermon, that you know each miracle in and of itself self does say certain things about who Jesus is, and we want to, you know, have eyes and ears to see that and hear it. Um, and, and the miracles, you know according to John's gospel is, you know, in order that we may believe, mm-hmm. you know, I think a yeah. lot of times, uh, we, uh, I, I was thinking about this, this last week that we, we often will hear things. And how often do you say, I don't know about that. Like you gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta see a picture. I gotta see a video. You gotta prove that to me. Right. And so it was in a way, just such a loving and kind thing for Jesus to display his divinity in some pretty supernatural ways to say, do you see now? Like, you know, blessed are those who see or who don't see and believe, Yeah, you know, but blessed are those who don't see and do believe. Right. And so there's that story of John the Baptist when he's in prison and he sends that message to Jesus and he says, are you the one we were to expect or should we look for somebody else? Yeah. John, John gets kind of, uh, testy with Jesus a yeah. little bit with like, he, he's a you little know, impatient. Him suffering in prison. May, I even speculated whether John thought, Hey Jesus, start showing who you really are. And as a sidebar, get me out of Maybe. this prison. <laughs> but, but Jesus didn't. And we know what happened to can John. You, can you imagine just the, the guts that it would take for somebody to say, should we look for someone else? Yeah. To Jesus? All people, the one who announced, <laughs> do we need to find to someone else? Like, do we you're need the to... lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? It's and almost then, like Jesus should have said like, well, what do you think? Like, you know? I know. Right. <laughs> so what does Jesus say in reply? He said, you go tell John that the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf are the deaf here. The dead are raised again, and he and so he says five or six different things, and they're all miraculous. Yeah, they're all about this is something like John said. This is something that only God can do, and so when Jesus comes and he and he announces the kingdom of God, he's basically saying in the kingdom of God in its fullness, there's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any demonized people. There's not going to be any people that are so unwell that they can't even get along. So in the, in the, the fullness of the kingdom of God, there, there are no broken arms. There's no broken legs. There's no leprous skin. There's nobody dying. There's so Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And these are signs. These point to the reality that the kingdom of God is really coming. Right. And I think to, 
finish out your question is that like, you know, what proof yeah. you know, of it all is that, you know, these writings by, you know, Matthew, Mark, you know, Luke, John, the, these weren't just writings that were, you know, uh, just one or two copies, right? Right. And in addition, I mean, we've talked about the biblical, um, you know, support and how many copies and and how it's all, you know, you know, verified and how, I mean, if something wasn't true and it was written down, it would not have made it the test of time. You know, I think you really kind of have to think about that. And not only that, when you see how many miracles are repeated from one gospel to another, and mm-hmm. even recorded in other extra biblical literature as things that Jesus performed, you have to begin to consider like the reality that these weren't just things people were making up because you right. can't just make that thing those things up and that stuff continue to be. Oh, do you remember the story in John's gospel when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? And the next scene is the Jewish leaders, like, two, three miles north in Jerusalem, they convene a meeting and they say, what are we going to do about this? Nobody can deny the miracle, but this means that everybody's going to go after Jesus. So we're going to have to put him to death. And oh, by the way, we're probably going to have to kill Lazarus too. These are the religious leaders talking about killing two people to, to thwart and to, to stamp out their message because they could not deny the miracle that had happened. And people have been trying to do that for a long time, right? Try to yeah. show that the Bible's not true. There's never been a successful detraction from oh, yeah. these four Gospels. I mean, they don't I mean, contradict yeah. each other at all, which is amazing. And like you said, I mean, the, book, the books of the Bible are written— um, or was, was it you or Brett recently? We talked about how— Probably Brett. I haven't been on the podcast in a while. Well, neither is Brett, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was one of you guys talking about the, the books of the Bible, the way that they're written so far apart. And it's the, it's the analogy of, like, if you get this many— uh, get this many authors together throughout this span of time and have them all write something and have none of them contradict each other. And yeah. it's just yeah. like the odds of it and things like that. So yeah. it's pretty amazing that, that anybody would even the, start to try to... The concordance of Scripture, right. that, that, it, that it all agrees with each other. It tells one unified story. Right, yeah. Right? Despite all the authors and the time that went by. Jim, yeah. you said a minute ago, Jesus being the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Lamb of God, boy, that is a loaded term. Yes, it is. For Christians and for Jews. But to the Jewish audience that heard Jesus, you know, John the Baptist says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. Um, When you go into Revelation and it says, you know, who's worthy to open the scroll? And then he says, there's the Lion of Judah. But And then John looks over and he says, instead of seeing a lion, he sees the Lamb looking as if it had been slain since the foundation of the world. So, it's obviously attributing Jesus to this term, Lamb of God. Uh-huh. Now, every day in Jerusalem, in the temple area, in my, rec- in my rec- studies, I, I think it was there was a morning and an evening sacrifice, and a lamb was sacrificed every single day, twice a day in Jerusalem. And they knew that. And so what's the point of the Lamb of God being sacrificed in Jerusalem? It was always this, there was this covenant agreement with God where God says, look, if you sin against me, there's a way to be forgiven, but there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So it's either you die for your sins or you can transfer your sins and the punishment for that onto this innocent animal. And when the innocent animal gets sacrificed, then God sees the blood of the lamb and says, okay, your sin is atoned for, your sin is forgiven. That's payment. 
goes back to the original time of the Passover in Exodus, the 10th plague, when the death angel was going to come to Egypt and every firstborn son, whether right. human or animal, they were, they were all going to die. And then, and then God says to Moses, there's one way that your people can keep this from happening. You know, when, during this week, uh, have a lamb, have a lamb stay with you in your home, and then sacrifice that lamb on this particular night and take some of the blood of the lamb, put it on the side frames of the doorpost, put it on the top of the door. And when that death angel comes over Egypt to kill all the firstborn, if the angel sees the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, then he would, quote, pass over that house. So there's where they get the, the term Passover. So the point is, Jesus being the Lamb of God means he is the one and only, once for all, substitute sacrifice for our sins. That's, yeah, awesome. I literally have nothing to add to that. I mean, that's that's perfect. That was a great way to that explain great. that. I love also the uh, the contrast, also the Lion of Judah, being, you know, there's the song, um, uh, Lion and the Lamb, and it talks about our God is a lion, mm-hmm. Lion of Judah. He's roaring, uh, and then it's our our God is a lamb, lamb that was slain, the sin of the world. Um, his blood breaks the chains, right? And I think yes. that the contrast is awesome. So where's, I don't have this written in the, in the notes I gave you, but what about the Lion of Judah? Do you know, do you have a similarly awesome answer to that? <laughs> no, but... <laughs> But I, but I'm aware. If anybody knows C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, the the image of Christ that he has in all of those books is the lion, Aslan the great lion, mm. the lion who laid down his life. Uh-huh. Because in the in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Aslan lays down his life for the sins of the people. And uh, I I do believe the lion of the tribe of Judah means that he's the one in authority. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Mm. So just how many different pictures we have in the Bible. Those two are huge. Where where you have the king in authority who actually lays down his authority, gives up his rights, uh, allows Satan and the people of this world to execute him on a Roman cross so that he can then save all of mankind. Right. Looking like defeat. The guy, you know, the lion who could never be defeated, lay voluntarily becomes the lamb. Right. It's yeah. A, it's if you, if you, contrast. if anybody listening has never read the books, the the Narnia books, there's the one specifically, uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, which is where that mm-hmm. that is that story is told, where he lays down his own life. But uh, the books are awesome. The movies are actually really good too. Like they're mm-hmm. they're they only made a couple of them, but uh, I heard they're actually going to Netflix is trying to make a. Uh, Narnia series, which would be kind of cool, and I hope they do it well. I hope they don't, yeah. you know, mess it up. I'm going to end with this question because, um, Jim, I, again, I told you earlier we did a, a group about the chosen, and uh, some of the questions. One of the questions that was asked, and I, I had a hard time making the giving this a clear answer, which is uh, we hear so much in the in the chosen about Jesus being Jewish, mm-hmm. and the question being, if Jesus was Jewish, why don't we as Christians now hold to Jewish law. Why aren't we Jewish? Because we're disobedient sinners to the law of God. <laughs> that's it. That's the, the quick answer. <laughs> no, that is a that is a misleading answer. Uh, actually, the the early church debated this very question. Right, like all of a sudden the church was persecuted in Jerusalem, and everybody went, 
scattered everywhere and started preaching the good news about Christ wherever they went. Some people went all the way up to Antioch, which was a big Gentile city at 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel there, and a bunch of Gentiles became Christians, right? And then Paul and Barnabas, they go off on their missionary journeys, and they start preaching the gospel in different places, and a lot of, quote, God-fearing Gentiles in those towns were becoming followers of Jesus. So, Right after that came in there, then there's a bunch of these Jewish Christians who say, hey, uh, basically what it means to follow Jesus, this is just an extension of our Judaism. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like there's, no, there's no new religion here. This is just the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. Not, he didn't abolish the law. He, he didn't abolish it. the law. He fulfilled it. So therefore, all of the, the customs that we're supposed to live by, the sacrifices and the keeping the Sabbath and the dietary restrictions and circumcision for the boys, that's all still in play. Therefore, Gentiles, if you want to come into our religion, basically like you're them, we're us, you want to become one of us, then you have to start living like us. Mm -hmm. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't about keeping these laws. The gospel is about basically keeping two laws. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says in Romans 13 that whoever uh, whoever loves his neighbor as, as himself has kept the whole law. So they, they had this big Jerusalem council. The early church got together, and they said, well, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Are we going to make them live like us Jews and Uh, James basically said something like, let's don't put any stumbling block in the way of the Gentiles coming to faith. Right. And they came up with a few reasons, uh, a a few requirements. Don't practice sexual immorality. Don't eat blood. uh, Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols or something like that. But that was it. There was no Sabbath keeping. There was no uh, dietary restrictions. None of that other stuff because they recognized none of that None of those practices were what makes us right with God. Right. Loving our neighbor and loving God, those are the two big things. Yeah. This is, so um, I I promote Got Questions quite a bit on here, and this is one of the things that it says here. It says, as Christians, we don't need to follow the old covenant any longer because the old covenant has been replaced. We now have a better covenant with a better sacrifice administered by the high priest. And then it quotes Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus— by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold uh, unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Um, there's really, there are really a lot of cool answers to these questions on Got Questions. Uh, it's a great resource. There's a lot of uh, really, really, really educated people that are answering these questions. And if you can't find your answer, you can always uh, ask it. I asked a question. I don't even remember what it was. I asked, a, oh, we were, John, we were in here talking about um, why is John so vague with his answer or with his telling of Jesus walking on water? Sure, yeah. I Six That verses. morning, you, you I emailed question? Got Questions, and they emailed me back the next day. They said the same thing you did, which was at that point, John had, uh, probably the assumption that people already knew this account Look from Matthew, that. Mark, and Luke. So Check that's the best answer that they even said. That's what most people would point to Good as the answer. So, um, John, you could be on Got Questions. I could be on Got Questions. Yeah. You know, also, I was thinking, uh, why aren't Christians Jewish? 
I mean, Jewish at its you, you've you've got two ways of thinking about Jewish, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you've got like your your heritage, right? Mm-hmm. I was I'm Jewish by my by my nature of You're being born, born into a Jewish and, yeah. family. And then you practice Judaism, right? You 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 don't have to be in be born in Israel to be a to be a Jew, Jewish like worshiper, right? right. You can you, there's lots of people. And anyways, the thing that separates a Christian faith from the Jewish faith is that we were all Jews at one point, but then you decided to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Those who are still practicing Judaism today are practicing it in such a way that they're still waiting for the Messiah to come, that Jesus was not that. And so when you go to Isaiah 53 and you read about the suffering servant, you know, you, you have to kind of point to that and say, you know, to our to our Jewish friends, you know, who, who is this talking about as you kind of understand the Gospels, the New Testament, the life of Christ? So, I mean, why aren't Christians Jewish? Because Christians recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the, the one who has come and who's coming again. Um, and then, you know, those, and, and he was the one who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. There are still, you know, Jewish practices happening today that are, that Jesus fulfilled and completed that they no longer need to do anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So that's also another way to answer why aren't Christians Jewish? I mean, there are Jewish parts to our faith, sure, like what, you know, Jim was saying, but at the same time, there are real differences between us because of our recognition of who Christ is. He mm-hmm. is the Messiah. Um, those who are in the Jewish faith today are still waiting for what they believe to be the Messiah to come. Right. Does right. that make sense? Yes, mm-hmm. it yeah. does make it sense. Does. Yeah. All right, well, thank you both for coming in here. Um, we're out of time for, for this one, but uh, we're going to continue on with, uh, with questions about Jesus. I have a whole lot more. Uh, that I'm going to, maybe we'll get to it when Brett gets back. I'd like to get Brett on here, but he's not back for another two months or so. So this might be a couple months in the in the future that we get more questions about Jesus answered. Um, next week, I'm bringing on uh, Garrett Ward. We're going to talk about, we're going to start our series talking about other religions. It's very interesting to dig into other religions. Um, Mormonism is probably the one that I've looked at the most because I grew up with a lot of friends being Mormon, and I was very curious of what they they believed, and there's uh, a lot of things that will be fun to discuss with Garrett. So, yeah. uh, anyways, that'll be next week. Uh, thanks, Jim, for coming, and thanks, John, for coming down. Thanks for having me.